Well, Lord, thank you so much for this time as always. What a, what a gift it is to get to have your word, to get to read your word, study your word, um, to get to teach it, to get to, to learn together um, and to proclaim Christ through, through Romans 6 here. Um, Lord, just we just ask you to come by the power of your spirit um, through the work of Jesus Christ. Father, would you just send your spirit among us? Um, and we know that he's here. But we're gathered here in your name, and uh, we ask that the un- you would unfold your word. It would give light. It would give heat. It would warm our hearts um, for Jesus. It would inflame our hearts for Jesus, that the gospel would be proclaimed, that um, that the word would be rightly unfolded, that um, you, would just, you would just meet with us and change us and make us to love Jesus more and to um, walk more in his ways, um, to walk according to your spirit. So, so Holy Spirit, come. And fix our eyes on him and, uh, and lead us in, into all truth. For your glory, Lord, and um, build up your saints and, and draw, us, draw us to you, Jesus, savingly and sanctifyingly. Um, so that we might flee sin and run to Jesus and, and, and love him more and obey him more. Uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, welcome, welcome. Some of y'all snuck in while I was praying. It's good. We are in Romans 6 tonight. And we are actually going to tackle... The whole, the whole, um, I almost said book, the whole chapter, not my preference. I know Stephen's not happy. Stephen brought his John Owen mortification of sin and which I've seen him carry around many, a, many a time. And, uh, that is a the perfect book. It's not by happenstance that he brought it. I'm sure it's the perfect book for this chapter on the mortification of sin and on, um, being slaves to God and slaves to righteousness and not slaves to sin. So it, it is a, it is a, there's a sense in which it's a shame to have to, we don't have to, uh, work through this whole chapter tonight, but I would like to, I would also like to work through Romans 7 next week so that we can be looking at Romans 8 in the new year together and um, move through the, that part of the book in the spring semester. So thanks for being with us here. Um, if, we, if we had just wanted to do what we've done so far, we would have studied the book of Galatians, but Paul's just getting warmed up. We've got a lot. This is a marathon. We have a lot more to go as he unpacks the gospel and gets into all sorts of goodness. Um, so... We are right in the middle of it here, and hey, this is Nisa. This is the yellow, loves yellow. Nisa, do you like uh, Priya's mug, her yellow mug? I, I told her that you like yellow. Okay, so let's, um, let me go ahead and read the chapter, and then we can begin to walk through it together. So um, we'll be flying through this chapter. So we are in Romans 6, starting in verse 1. Does anyone remember what we talked about just before I jump into to reading the text? What we talked about last last week in Romans 5, 12 through 21. Maybe you were here, maybe you weren't here. The two, fill in the blank. Adams, Adams right? The two Adams, right? We're either in one Adam or the other. So, so Paul's continuing from that. We're all born into the first Adam. Physically, we have to be born again. By faith into the second Adam, Christ Jesus. We have to be born a second time. Um, because it's not just that we sin, it's that we are represented by Adam. Um, and when we're born, we're born sinners. We're born into sin, um, represented by him. We have to be represented by the second Adam through faith in him. So, okay, so let's keep moving. Um, Paul starts in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? So let me just read verse 21 of Romans 5. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ver, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are, so he's returning to this, right? So are we to sin um, because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, this is verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, excuse me, you were free in regard to righteousness, which is a funny way of putting it. We'll return to that. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. So when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina in seminary, uh, the church that I went to, I remember that the, 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 uh, the pastor, Mark, he preached a sermon and he used as an illustration the freshman 15. And he said, you know, uh, I think we're all familiar with that, that phrase, that the idea that like when you go to when you go to, off to college and you experience all these freedoms and some of them are like, man, I can eat whatever I want and I'm up late and I eat pizza and maybe I'm drinking some beer if I'm an upperclassman or if I'm not an upperclassman and I'm breaking the law. Um, <laughs> and you come home after the first semester and you gain 15 pounds, the freshman 15, right? Uh, you, you've experienced this newfound freedom and you just you take advantage of it, you abuse it. And I remember he used that illustration to talk about how, man, that's one of the ways that you know that you're that can be one of the ways that you know that you are, you've gotten the gospel. It doesn't have to be. You can just be straight abusing it without having understood the gospel. But you, you're so, um, 
you understand the, you're beginning to walk into and to grasp something of the scandalous freedom that we've been given in Christ. And, and what, hap- what can happen is that you abuse it and you gain the freshman 15 and that you, you, you think of it, okay, I have this freedom in Christ and it's, and it's abuse that I can, I can live how I want to. And that's, um, that can be one of the ways that we know not only that we're beginning to understand and to grasp the scandalous freedom that we've been given in Christ, um, but also it can be one of the ways that you know that you're beginning to articulate the gospel to someone and that they are beginning to grasp is that um, they will ask a question like, like the question that Paul rhetorically asks here, which is he's beginning to really unpack the gospel. He starts it, he's been doing it for about two, over two chapters now. And as he's um, really unpacked it in chapter five and talked about how we're all either, we're all born into Adam and we're represented by him. And then we must be born again into the second Adam. And he brings us into this new life and this new creation. And it's all of him and it's a gift of God. And it's not through our works that no one can, no one can boast. Um, and then he says, what shall we say then? Are we in verse one? He says, what shall we say then in, in Romans six? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So, He's anticipating an abuse of the gospel, but that this is a natural uh, this is a natural reaction to folks when they start to really think about the gospel and they haven't fully grasped it yet. But the freedom that it brings, okay, so can I live however I want? And we might have encountered that personally as we begun to grasp the gospel. It's not it's not about law keeping. It's this freedom that Christ brings us into, and it's a gift from the Lord. Um, and we might have gained the freshman 15 or seen someone else do that. And so Paul's pulling us back from that saying, no, it's not. Um, you're beginning to taste this freedom, whether it's intellectually or, or existentially, but it's not for abuse. Um, so he now anticipates in this first verse and he returns to it in verse 15, right? He anticipates maybe the biggest and the first question people ask when they begin to grasp the gospel. Um, it's like, like I said, it's both a sign that they're getting the real gospel and that you shared the real gospel. So don't be discouraged if, uh, somebody begins to ask a question like this. I mean, Paul helps us kind of walk through guiding someone, guiding us, guiding someone else through this as you're sharing the gospel with them. Um, no, this freedom isn't to live any, any old way you want to live. Right. Um, so he'll, he'll, so be encouraged actually, if people were bringing this up as that can be a sign that man, I am actually sharing, I pos- this is possibly a sign that I am sharing the gospel here, that I'm not just saying, yeah, be a good person, like keep the law. That's not the gospel, okay? Um, so what is the question? Uh, somebody read out verse, verse one. What's the question that Paul anticipates as he's sharing the gospel? What shall we say then? The yeah, keep going. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, so put that in your own words. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we, do we sin more to get more grace? Yeah. Do we sin more to get more grace? If, if grace is just God's response to our sin, so that the more I sin, the more grace he gives, more grace is a good thing, so should I just sin, sin, sin? Because in verse 20 he said, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Yeah, so you okay. You see why someone would yes. think that. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Great connection. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.20. Um, yeah, and I put it like this, since Jesus has paid for our sins and freed us from sin's power, can we sin all we want? And more directly from exactly what Paul has said, uh, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, briefly explain what is, Paul's not saying 
in 520, when he says where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, is he saying, hey, you can just sin all you want because God's going to just meet that with grace? What's he saying there? Sin grace is greater than, I mean, there's a kind of like, his grace is greater than all of our sins. And it's in the context, remember, of the two Adams, right? It's a zoom out context of the fact that, hey, the plan all along was, yes, humans and their responsibility we fell in Adam, our, our human federal head, our representative. And we were all captured. Every, everybody born from Adam has been captured under sin. But in God's perfect plan, he sent a second Adam, his own son, who also was not created but was born perfect, sinless. And he now represents all those who look to him and are born again spiritually in him and will be, will be, will be resurrected in him as well. And so he's saying on a larger scale, right? Where sin increased through the first Adam, grace abounded even more through the second, right? So he's not, so he, then he's kind of, not kind of, he's very much returning to that and saying, or hey, are we to continue in sin that grace abounded? He's taking it on a, to a personal level. Um, but Taylor? Yes, yes, yes. Could, could we say he's saying, he's, he's saying we shouldn't want to sin, but we can sin and if there's still grace for it. Oh, and, I, and if you read, um, I was listening through 1 John today, finished finish 2 Peter, just ran into, as I was driving, 1 John, and John is maybe the best uh, little letter in, in talking about how, man, if we say we have no sin, we have nothing to do with the living God. You know, we're liars and the truth is not in us. That is, Paul is in nowhere here saying, hey, great, there's no grace left for you if you continue to, to commit sins. No, no, we will sin until the day we die. We're not perfectionists. Perfectionism is a heresy. And uh, perfectionism is that, hey, we can, we can achieve a sinless life this side of glory. Not, that's a heresy. That's not true. That's not biblical. It's not right. Um, but, uh, but we should be sinning less and less and hating sin more and more. And under, within, that, within that sanctification, becoming actually more and more like Jesus through faith in his righteousness, in his person, in his work, hate, hating sin more and more and sinning less and less. And, um, and, and being grieved over our sin more and more. Um, but there's always grace for our sin. But, but that, that's not what Paul's talking about here, right? He's talking about misunderstanding the gospel and saying, well, if we're free, we can, we're free to live how we want. So we'll get into that, but that's a great question. Um, but, but John really also talks about how, hey, if we say we don't have any sin, we're, we have no place with God. We're liars and truth is not in us. But he also says, if we live lifestyles of sin, if our life is characterized by sin, and not by, by increasing sin rather than increasing righteousness, we also have no part with God. He says that very clearly. And we may have some time to go to some of John. Uh, I was driving, so. Uh, but in chapters 1 and chapter 2 especially, John really talks about that. But so does Paul here. Um, okay, so since Jesus paid for our sins and freed us from sin's power, can we sin all we want? That's essentially what Paul's asking. How does Paul answer this very good question? How did, what's his short little response? God forbid. God forbid, right? God forbid. Um, there's a Spanish, uh, I don't know if anyone here speaks Spanish, I'm, uh, but there's un poquito, un poquitito. Uh, there's a phrase, nunca jamás. What does nunca jamás mean? Anyone? Never ever means never ever. In parlance, hell no. I mean, Paul didn't say that, but it's like a very strong, it's a very strong um, way of saying never, never, never. Um, in re- hell no, in response to, should we sin more so Christ can forgive more? And people will see how forgiving he is, right? So he says, no, never, never, may it never be. Nunca jamás. Um, so three, I'm just, um, I see this text is breaking down into three 
different um, sections tonight. So united to Christ's death, verses 1 through 11. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me give you, I do have a little piece for you here. Um, I put the same hymn as last week on the back, just in case we, we, didn't, we didn't sing it last week, I don't think so. Um. Okay, so united to Christ's death. That's really at the base of what he is arguing from um, here in the first section. United, and I think overall, um, that's really what's going to help us understand what Paul is arguing here. That we are, we are by faith united to Jesus himself. We are vitally united to Jesus himself. We're united, united to his person. And what did Jesus do on that cross? He died. We're united to his death to sin. He took, he took sin into himself and he killed it and he buried it. But he rose and he left sin in the grave, right? So we're united to Christ's death, verses 1 through 11. And then second point, do not, when we'll get there, do not let sin reign. In that short paragraph, verses 12 through 14, do not let sin reign. And then finally, uh, point three, slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin. Uh, and that's 15 through the finish, 15 through 23. Slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin. So, and we'll get there, but hey, Paul makes it very clear. There's no third space for the human. There's no such thing as not being a slave. There's no such thing as like a freedom to just live how I want. There's no such thing in the biblical, just like in the biblical account, there's, there are only two races, those who are in the first Adam or those who are in the second Adam, represented by one or the other. There's no third race. There's no third party. There's no neutral space where you're, you're not a slave. You're either a slave to God and righteousness or you're a slave to sin. That's how Paul puts it. It's very interesting. Um, so let's jump into 1 through 11. And by the way, I've, I've, um, I've titled this talk in this chapter, Freed Not to Sin. So we're not freed to sin. Freed not to sin, but from sin and for him. So freed not to, not to sin, but from sin and for him. Um, okay, united to Christ's death, verses 1 through 11. So Paul's response, after heck no, what does he say? What's the substance of his answer if you look at verse 2? Right. Can we who are dead to sin still live in it? What does Paul mean by this, do you think? Can we who can we who died to sin still live in it? Well that'd be a contradiction in terms, is it And can you see why it would be a contradiction in terms? And can you see why I'm saying that we really want to understand this first point, these first 11 verses as being united to Christ's death through faith? Because how, what he's saying here when, can, can, um, can we who died to sin? He's really... Well, he he's, said the wages of sin is death, right? Mm-hmm. So to say that you can continue to sin and live contradicts mm-hmm. the teachings that he, he's already said mm-hmm. about, about the consequences of sin. Yep. And who died to sin? Again, to, to sort of beat this horse, but it's worth beating. Who died to sin on that Adam. cross? The second Adam. And so what he is, what he is implying here when he says, can we who died to sin, is that, look, there's one who died to sin, the second Adam. 
who represents a new humanity. If you want to live, if you are alive, you have also, you have died with him. Faith has united us to Jesus. That is, that is, our, that is our hope. That is our uh, reality. And so we who look to Jesus by faith have actually been united to him in his death to sin on that cross. And so Paul is saying, he's, he's, he's saying that he's very strongly implying, factually, our union with Jesus and his death to sin when he says, can we who died to sin still live in it? Okay, so it's like, as absurd as Jesus dying to sin on that cross and going through all that suffering and then saying, well, I'm free to, I'm free to have a heyday with sin. No, that's not why he died. It's not why you died with him. He died so that you could follow him. He died so that you could love him and love others. He died so that you could be a new creation. Not so that you could live how, just how you want to live and revel in the thing that put him on the cross. Right? Yeah, yeah. Can you say um, this means the, the grace that he achieved for us as his followers always trump triumphs over sin and death? Sure. Can you say it? Absolutely. Right? I love that. Um, okay, so as your wheels are turning, this is, this is really good, really, really thick grist, really good substantial grist. Um, for the gospel mill. Before coming to Christ, before being born a second time, we were alive to sin, right? We were alive to sin. What does that mean? Well, I think when we say, because when he says, can you who have died to sin, it implies, again, it implies that we were alive to sin. Of course we were. What does that mean, to be alive to sin? Well, look at verses three and following. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, we can see in these verses I've written here, let me just read through my notes, I haven't even had a chance to go through them, that being alive to sin is the condition of the Adamic man who was born into sin through the first, first birth. I'm extrapolating here, but, okay? We can see in these verses that being alive to sin, we were learning about, we're learning about being baptized into Christ's death to sin. But the, the flip side of that is we were alive to sin in, the, in our condition of the, uh, being represented by the, in our old Adamic man, being represented by the first Adam. Um, so, we can see in these verses that being alive to sin is the condition of the Adamic man who is born into sin through the first birth, represented by the first Adam, controlled by sin. We don't just sin, we're sinners. This was all of us. But Jesus died to that old Adamic man, that old order, and we died with him because faith, as I've said, unites us to his death. Faith unites us to his death. So there's a sense in which, what am I trying to say? One of the things that Paul is wrapping up in this, as he, as he walks through this truth, is that Jesus didn't just, he, he certainly wasn't just a man dying on a cross. He was, he was a, a representative for a new humanity. And he was bearing an old humanity. And he was bearing the sins of an old humanity. Right? He, was, he was doing away with, on his cross and in his burial, an old order that is under the dominion of sin and Satan and hell. And he... He bore all that in himself and onto himself, and he buried it. And he rose into a new type of humanity, all right? So, um, in dying, you know, part of what baptism symbolizes is the reality that when we trust in Jesus Christ, our old man that was in thrall 
to the power of sin, we couldn't not sin. And that, and that did not want to please God, and that was certainly not free, was, was crucified, was killed, and was buried. A whole order, a whole human order, Christ carried and took on to himself on that cross. With his death on the cross, Jesus killed an entire race, the whole fallen human race, uh, born of the first Adam. Um, Verse 5 says, it is a guarantee that if you've been united to his death, to the old Adamic humanity and order, right, to his death to that order, through faith, you will certainly 100%, this is an awesome verse, Okay, you will 100% be united. If you have been united to his death through faith to that old Adamic order, you will 100% be united to his new life into a new humanity and order, that of the second Adam. So what is, what is Paul saying? Read it. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, what does Paul say? We shall maybe? Certainly. Certainly. There's no doubt. It's, a, it's going to happen. If we've been united with him in a death like his, to, if our sins have been paid for, and the, uh, uh, our enslavement to sin has been broken, and the power of and death has been, the, sin, our sins have been paid for, and the power of sin has been, um, the, death has been defeated, and, uh, and the power of Satan has no more power over us because our sins have been paid for. Uh, so if we've been united to him in his death to those things, then we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, to resurrection to a new life that's free from sin and Satan and hell and death. So um, to put it negatively, you cannot possibly be united to his, um, to his death only. If you're united to him in his death and your sins have been paid for, you will rise. You're united to the risen Christ and you will, when he, because he is risen, you can't be, you're, Christ isn't divided. You're not, you can never, no one in, no single person on in the history of ever, can ever be just united to the crucified Christ. If your sins have been paid for, and he has killed the power of sin in your life, doesn't mean you're not going to sin. You will continue to sin, but that power, that nerve has been cut. And you now belong to a new master, and you're now alive in Christ. You will rise. It's like a a pulley. Um, It's like if you pull on one side of the pulley... What's going to happen? If I pull down on one side of the pulley, what's going to, or, you know, if there's a rope and there's a, a wheel up here, right? And if I pull down on this side, what's going to happen to this side? It goes up. It goes up because it's of a piece, right? Our life is that we're united to Jesus. He paid for and killed all that was killing us. And being united to him, what, what, did he, what happened in three days later after he, was, after he killed that and was killed himself? He killed death through death, to use an, a glorious phrase from John Owen, you know, the death of death in the death of Christ. He killed, and, and, and we died because of sin. So he died, he paid for sin, he died. And what happened to him three days later? He rose. So what Paul is saying here is that, just like that pulley, when because of, if you're united to his death, you are also certainly united to his life. You will rise. And that, and that resurrection doesn't, it doesn't start the, when he returns and you are bodily resurrected, which will also happen for sure. It happens the minute you trust in him and your sins are atoned for and his righteousness is conferred on you. It's imputed to you. You're declared righteous, righteous with his righteousness. We talked about that. And, um, 
he comes to live inside of you, the resurrected Christ himself, making you, by his spirit, making you alive. What does Paul say elsewhere? That is a sign and a seal. It's a guarantee the fact that you will be, that's right. You're alive in Christ. You're seated at his right hand. He's in you. And you have a, you, he, the living God is inside of you. You're no longer dead in sins and trespasses, but you're alive in Christ. And that is a sign and a seal by the spirit of Christ in you that you will rise one day bodily, that you will get a new body that will never perish and that the power of sin in your life has been severed. Right? So it's like, it's like a pulley. If you, Faith unites us to Christ in his death, but also in his resurrection life. And we have the Holy Spirit in us as a guarantee that that's happening. And physically one day will happen when Christ returns. We will, be, we will receive resurrection bodies like his. Um, resurrection life follows all who by faith are united to Christ's death. Therefore, if you are in Christ by faith, your full forgiveness of sins and the power of sin being broken in your life means you are also united to the resurrected Christ. You cannot be, I'm just kind of restating what I said, you cannot be united to the crucified Christ and not the resurrected Christ. It can't happen. It will never happen to a single person, ever. You cannot have your sins paid for and not be united to the risen, the bodily risen Jesus Christ, who is reigning. He's he's not bodily, he's not here. He's in heaven, reigning uh, at the right hand of the hand of power of the Father, the nerve center of the universe, where the control the control center, where he pulls pulls the levers. Thank God it's not Biden. Thank God it's not Trump. Thank God it's not Xi Jinping or anyone else. It's Christ. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And bodily, he will one day return. And when he returns, everyone will receive a resurrected body. Those who trust in him to life. And those who trust in themselves or something else to death. Eternal. Forever. Will all last forever. So, um, okay. So, the, so verse 5, back to verse 5. This resurrection will happen, but it also, like I said, already has because Christ has been resurrected and he lives in every believer. So the presence of the resurrected Jesus in you by his Holy Spirit means that you will be resurrected bodily when Jesus returns. We have the Holy Spirit in us as a, as a guarantee, as a down payment that the full payment is coming, as a promissory note of your guaranteed resurrection from the ground or the ocean, depending on where you've been buried, where you've ended up bodily with a renewed body. Um, so Paul proceeds to say all this and more in verses 6 through 10. Um, I'm just going to read through, through them again. I'm not, I'm not going to pull much from them. I'll, I'll come back to verse 7 in a bit here. Um, we know that our old... So if we're, united, if we're united to him in his death, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? So we still sin, but what? The, the believer who is, new, who is a new creation in Christ, who is represented by the second Adam, Jesus, is no longer enslaved to sin. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin patterns. It doesn't mean we don't fall into the same sin some. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. That's not what Paul is saying. But it means that sin, a life of sin, won't, won't, we won't be characterized by that. And it'll... it'll it doesn't have the same power. We're not enthralled to it. We have a new master and we have power not to sin. And we, our sin grieves us. That's the, sign of a, that's the sign of a believer. If those things, if there's not some fruit in your life, if there's not love for God, if there's not sorrow over sin, if there's not increasing victory, not, not like a line that's steadily rising. It's like fits and starts, man. But if, if some of those things aren't at least in 
in some measure happening in your life, you would do very well to question whether or not you're a new creation in Christ. That's one of the things Paul's digging into a little bit here. Okay, so this, this should unsettle, this kind of talk should unsettle a little bit the person who's, okay, well, I don't know that I see any of that. Well, that's good. You should, let's talk. Let's, let's see if, if, you, if you truly have the risen Christ in you. Um, so we're seeing progress. Okay, so let me keep reading. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That's wonderful. And that doesn't start, that doesn't start one day when we see him face to face. It doesn't start one day when he returns. It starts the minute you trust in Jesus. We are living with him, but we will actually face to face live with him too. There's a, I think that verse that kind of has in it a sort of progressive unfolding where if we've died with Christ, we will, we will also live with him, but also one day we will be with our king face to face. We'll get to hold him and he us, right? And we'll be with him forever. We know, verse 9, that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And in the same way, friends, right? Okay, in a similar way. It's an analogous way. He can't sin. We can. But in the way that, in, in an analogous way that death has no dominion over Jesus, so with you. You, you. you are now united to that victory. That, by the way, is your assurance. And that's gonna, one of the things that's going to help you especially when tempted, especially when things are dark, especially when your feelings are against you, your circumstances are against you. These, and we'll get into more of these great and precious truths, who you are in Christ, the fact that you're united to him and grounded in him and in his payment for your sin, his victory over death, that reality is the most powerful thing, as well as his very presence in you that, will, that can help us to flee from sin and to run toward him and to obey him and to trust him. Um even especially when we don't feel like it, right? We'll get, we'll get into that a little more, for sure. Um, for Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me dig into that, into verse 11, and then we'll come back to verse 7 briefly um, before moving on to point two, do not let sin reign, in verses 12 through 14. Um, in verse 11, he says something, he commands something that I would not have anticipated and that's very interesting and fraught with meaning. Um, it's extremely helpful as a way of living. What does Paul say? Somebody read it out loud. What does Paul say in verse 11? Consider yourselves dead to sin. Okay, consider, your, consider yourselves dead to sin. In other words, consider yourself to be what you actually are. That is one of the keys to living the Christian life. Consider yourself to be what you actually are. Because, man, if we're honest, in our lives, I don't feel dead to sin. Man, I, I struggle with sin daily, and we're told, to, we're told to wrestle against sin. We're told to fight sin to the point of shedding blood, right? Um, but to know that actually in Christ I have died to its power, that's not who I am anymore. I have a new master, um, is, is, inc- is an amazing a way to live as a Christian. Consider yourself to be what you actually are, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's your reality. That's your actual positional reality. It's, sorry, I don't mean to that tangent, but it's interesting to think about, like, in Christianity, I think, gospel here, essence precedes existence. Yes. The existential philosophers famously said existence precedes essence, but that's what he's saying here: mm-hmm. is that you consider yourselves like as you are, your identity, as you are identity, seated with Christ. Your identity determines power of sin. How you then live. That's right. Not how you live determines 
your identity, and that's how you can. That's right. Um, how you can cope with mm -hmm. the persistence of sin. Persistence in your life. Yes. And you know. Otherwise, one would be tempted to despair. Absolutely, I think that's the biggest thing this does, and that's one of the biggest reasons people do. I think fall into patterns of sin is because of despair. And this gives us the hope that, no, no, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. I am I'm united to Christ in his death to sin and in his life to righteousness, in his new life. And um, I, don't, I may not feel it, but I have the word of God on that. I have his spirit as a down payment and a deposit. And, you know, my, I say to my kids, you've heard it said, you may say it to your kids, you may have been, it may have been said to you uh, as a kid, you don't remember who you are. I'll say that to my kids sometimes before they leave the house. I'm like, hey, remember who you are. You're an ince. You know, like, and what the chief thing that means is, not like behave, although it does mean that, you know, like, like, make sure that, okay, you carry our name, you know, remember that, that's a big deal, but also remember that you come from me, you know, there's nothing you can do to change that, and that you are deeply loved. Identity. Hang on real quick, mom. Identity. No, no, seriously, like, not, not like, don't talk, but just hang on a sec. And that identity, that's just an example, a weak example of the fact that we remember whose we are, the price that was paid for us, that there is, that um, the power of sin has actually been severed in our lives, and that there's a resurrection power that is remaking the world that lives in us, and that's where we're headed. Powerful. And that's one of the reasons we have to, that's one of the reasons we have to go back to the Word and remind ourselves of our essence, of who we really are in Christ, not in our feelings. Don't let your feelings lead. Let God's Word lead. And... And, and, and who you are through the work of Christ by the power of his spirit, the father giving his son for you. Yeah, mom, go ahead. Well, he says in, in my version, um, so also you must consider. Yes, yes, emphatic. That is interesting that he says must. And, yeah. and yes, it's absolutely to, necessary. We, because if we, if we go back and we remind ourselves, say I'm getting ready to sin. He's like, you have to. You have to do this to flee I, from sin. Yeah. If I remind yeah. myself yes. that I am dead to sin because of what Christ has done. Because he hung on that cross for me. And so to me. And for my sin. The deeper the penny drops yeah. on how uh, you yeah, that's right. understand what has been achieved for you right. through, through Christ, then you get to a place, I hopefully will get to a place where I don't want to sin anymore. And the, and, and the, most, the most powerful thing I can do, say this by way of testimony, and this is, I think, syncs very, very well with what we're talking about. I mean, illustration of it, or a testimony of it. Um, I, in my life, and, and we may have some, I would love to hear here, here if, that, if some of you can go, amen, I, I feel the same way. Not perfectly, but the most powerful way, thing in my life that has caused me to flee from sin is, um, it's not... Uh, it's not even necessarily God's told me not to do that, although that's powerful. But it's, it's love. It's knowing, okay, this is who I am in Christ. This is what he's done for me. My sin put him on that cross. I know how much he loves me. I know he went to the cross and he took hell for me. He went to the lowest place for me. And so even if I can't understand it and I don't even feel it right now, and even if I have this letter that says don't do this, Sometimes it's not so persuasive for me when I really want to sin, but to think on the gospel, the heart of the gospel, that Jesus hung there for me. It's that deadly. It's that dangerous. It required that much. He loves me that much. I can trust him that much, even in the face of 
what I am not feeling at all at the time. That is so, that is by far the most powerful thing that has kept me from sometimes doing what I really want, want to do. And Taylor, he, he ends it by you know, saying, you must consider that you're dead to sin and alive to God mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. So yes. Yes. because of Christ, we have this relationship with God now that we can run to God. Right. And, and it's, not my, it's not my decision to not sin that makes me not sin. It is God coming to me and, and giving me the power to say no. Yeah, it's not, it's not just... It's not my, my, my wisdom and my, and my decision. This is what I'm going to do or not do. It is God in me saying, I'm going to give you the power not to do this. And we have the power. We have the power to not sin. As a, you know, right? Like we talked about a few weeks ago. Passe non picare. Able not to sin. Beforehand, it was non passe, non picare, not able not to sin. We have the power. And, and it's because of Jesus, because we're united to Christ. It's his power. It's a life of faith. It's not just, you know, just my own grit determination. And okay, I've been saved. I've been declared righteous. Now there's this, and then I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to be perfected. But in the middle space, my whole life, my whole life between coming to Christ, having him live inside of me, and then being glorified face to face, my whole life, the sanctification journey, which takes years and decades sometimes, depending on how long you live and how long you've been a Christian, oh, well, that I just need to, I just need to behave. No, 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 no. That also is fully a life of faith in Christ Jesus, who has fully won salvation for us, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. It's all by faith. Um, and to piggyback a little bit on what you're saying, Mom, yeah, it's not just... It's not just ruminating on, contemplating, meditating on through study of scripture, through, through worship, through, being, through all the sorts of things that he calls us to, through a life of faith. It's not just meditating on what he endured for us in paying for our sin and how much he therefore loves us, but it's also, yeah, the fact that we're alive in God, that we are his children, that he delights in us, that, that we have full access to him. It's that positive too. It's not just, man, this is what he paid for. It's also, this is what he brought us into, this life. Like, and even when I do sin, I know that I, the best thing for me is to run to him. That's what we want our kids to do, right? I don't want my kid to sin and then go like run out of my house and never come back. No, I want my kid to run to me and confess and, and I will scoop them up in my arms. And I'm a sinner and an evil, Jesus calls me. If that's what I want to do as an evil man, can you imagine God the Father who gave his own son gladly to save us? So, Stephen, did you want to, did you have anything? I think, I think part of what Susan was saying also, part of, part of the underlying thing you have to remember is, is the united with Christ in death. It's not just like, hey, he helps us. In right. Justification at that point, you right. were united with him. That's right. So you have, it's, it's more than just, I look to him. That's right. It oh, way more. Together. Yeah, it is an existential, pick up on that word again, reality. It's not just, yeah, it's certainly not just exemplaristic, oh, be like Jesus. He is an example, but more fundamentally and powerfully, he is our substitute and we are truly united to him, truly, in a real sense. Not just, hey, it's a nice idea. No, 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 not at all. We are really actually united to him in his death and his resurrection, to the person of Christ. Our vital union with Jesus, remember, the church is his body. He is our head. That's why the church will, the church is outstanding in her weakness, disobedience, you know, erring. I mean, it's amazing. The only, the only reason that the church still exists is because we are vitally united to our head, Jesus Christ. 
and therefore the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Um, and so uh, we are, our vital union to Jesus is, is, is really the ground note for this, for all these realities that Paul is, is fleshing out. Um, um, good point, Stephen. So this is, I've written here, this is the gospel and it's outworking in Nuce, or in a nutshell, in one short verse. Um, in one short verse. Let me, let me read it again. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, our sanctification does not come from our grit, as I've said, or determination and good behavior um, outside of Jesus and his work. It comes from a life of faith, eyes fixed on him, drawing from him like a branch draws sap from the trunk. Right? And that's, of course, using his own example. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. Right? So we draw... In our, in, our, in our walk, we, we are drawing from an actual and a real union to Christ. Um, it's not on the quality of our faith. It's not on the quantity of our faith. It's on the object of our faith, Jesus. And a real faith, even if it's a 1% faith, unites us ineluctably, indissolubly, unbreakably to Jesus Christ. And you can't be united to his death and have your sins forgiven and not to his victory, not to his resurrection not to his reign. You can't. You, know, you think, about, think about all the other scriptures where you talk about like 2 Corinthians 5.21, other ones where it's all focused on in him, through him, you might become the righteous. That's right. All of that, and there's tons of... In Ephesians, so much, which, all yeah, Paul's letters. You are, you are tied at the hip. It's not... You're not projecting and trying really hard. That's right. That, That's right. If you start mixing justification and sanctification together, you really want and, but, but, and And still, that's right, they're, they're distinct things. And yet, justification and sanctification are both completely in Christ Jesus, purchased by him, found in him, and um, received and worked out through faith. Justification is the declaration of our righteousness. Sanctification is the actual working in us of the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? But it's all of faith because of Jesus and who he is. Faith unites us to him. Um, so, So, again... This comes from a life of faith, eyes fixed on him, drawing from him like a branch draws sap from the trunk, and thereby producing fruit. That's where the fruit comes from. It's from Jesus himself. Any fruit in your life, love, let's lift them out. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, you know, like Paul says, against such things there is no law. Can you imagine a law against these things? Absurd. These things, they don't, they're not things you conjure up. These actually come from Jesus himself and your union to him as you're drawing on him through faith as his spirit's living inside of you. Um, ver, okay, verse seven plays into this. For, for the one who has died, verse seven, I'm going back to verse seven. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, for the one who has died, that is, who has died with Christ, who has been united to him, his life and death and resurrection through faith. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. This phrase has been set free means has been justified. It literally in the Greek means um, has been justified. And justified means, as I just said, declared righteous. It's a declaration. It's a status. It doesn't, okay, so uh, for the one who has died, like a courtroom status, like it's a forensic thing. Like you were, you were declared guilty because of everything you've done and now you've been declared free. You've been declared free to go. You've been, you're just, you're right. You can, you can walk. Um, so justified means declared righteous. So for the liter reads, for the one who has died has been justified from sin. Okay, that's strange. Our freedom from sin is grounded in our new status acquired through faith in Christ. 
We are declared righteous with his righteousness. This is the ground of our freedom from sin, right? Um, literally, for the, again, verse 7, for the one who has died has been justified from sin. Do you see how Paul is grounding our, uh, our death to sin and our freedom in the fact that we have been declared with the very status of Jesus Christ through our union with him by faith? That actually results in being able to say no to sin and yes to God. That declaration of a righteousness that is, as we said before, an alien righteousness, an outside righteousness. It's, it's a righteousness conferred upon us. It's Jesus' own righteousness received by faith. It's a gift from God. That actually means that we can not be characterized by lives of sin and hate sin more and more and more, right? Um, so Paul expands on, this is a shortest section here in me, for me, he expands on verse 11 and verses 12 through 14. Um, where Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Um, implication, though we are dead to sin, its nerve center having been cut by Christ in his death, in our union to it, uh, to him by faith. Sin can, okay. Now this section here, I typed out and then I thought a little better of it after having typed it out, but I'm just going to read it and we can, we can kind of wrestle with it as a class. Um, so the, at first, the implication to me here was, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to, to make you obey its passions. And then he goes on, verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteous, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Um, now, what I wrote here is, Though we are dead to sin, sin can still reign in our mortal body, okay? I think what he's saying is, and after further reading, after writing that, it seems like he's saying that, right? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. But really, it seems as he continues to, to write, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, it seems like he's saying that um, if you're obeying the passions of sin and it is reigning in you, this is a sign that you are that you are not that sin still has dominion over you. Um, it seems at first like he's saying, and the fact is, like if a Christian, let's just let's just real talk for a second. If a Christian who is alive, who is dead to sin existentially, he was dead to sin, or essentially, to use Jordan's word, and alive to God in Christ by faith. If you choose to sin, and you continue to choose to sin, and, you're, you, and your life becomes more and more a pattern of sin and a lifestyle of sin, um, and you are born again in Jesus Christ, sin will demonstrate, will begin to demonstrate, and, and it will grab a hold of you again. It will... It will have a sort of dominion over you. I mean, we, we've, I've experienced some of that. We've, we, can, we can see that in, in some others that are true believers. But I think really what one thing we need to be aware of is that that's certainly not what Christ calls us to. But if that is happening, we need to be, we need alarm bells to be going off and to go, wait a minute. There is power over sin in this new life that Christ has called me to. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Um, 
and it shall not reign in your mortal body. Um, now, so let, this, is, this is an interesting section. Um, let, me, let me say a few more things, and then we can open it up. So if we stop considering ourselves to be what we are, and we choose to sin and to live in sin, it will reign. What will that look like? And that's just, that's just a fact, okay? It will make you obey its passions. That phrase right there recalls to me Genesis 4, where God says to Cain, who murdered his brother, right before he murdered Abel, he says to Cain, what does he say about sin to Cain? It's crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. Here, the way Paul describes sin, it's a power. It's not just something we do. It's uh, It's not just a choice to be made. The beast has been slain, but we can revive it as it were, by feeding it. And that's certainly true right, in the life of a Christian, right? You can't think, well, I'm just, I can live how I want to. I'm impervious to sin. If you continue down a li- in a lifestyle of sin as a new creation in Christ, that beast is going to manifest certain tendencies that look like it's reigning in your life, okay? It's called a demonic stronghold. Um, we, like Steve, Stephen said earlier, we must kill sin by considering, and this may have been, been in private conversation, we must kill sin by considering ourselves dead to it, which we truly are in, as, as new creations in Christ. Dead to it daily, hourly, minutely. It's a, it's a battle. What was the quote from John Owen? Be killing sinner. Kill or, or sin will kill you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Um, verse 13, don't give yourselves over to sin. Give yourselves over to God. Right? Consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ. Verse 14, when telling us to choose righteousness over sin, Paul continually returns to our status. You're no longer condemned and guilty, but free and guiltless. You have been fully exonerated of all charges. The law no longer hangs over you because Christ kept it for you in his life, right? And he paid the price for your law-breaking in his death. Live under this grace, this freedom, this joy, and let it produce gratitude in you. Okay, this freedom is not freedom to sin more, but to live for God and not self. It's not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin for love of God and others, right? Freedom, freedom for a self-forgetfulness, freedom for an others-centered life. That's what Christ has brought us into. <clears throat> it's not freedom to live how we want to. There's no such thing. That's, that's sort of an um, antinomian heresy. That's not, I want to say like in the, the American, there's a sense in which this is the American gospel. Like the worst, the worst forms of it, right? You know, come to Jesus, he'll pay for your sins, you'll get to go to heaven, and you can kind of live how you want to. That's not the gospel. That's not, Paul's railing against that here. Um, thirdly, third point, slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin, verses 15 through 23. After reminding us of this astounding freedom we have in Christ, he quickly returns to the same question as in verse 1, right? Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And then again, what does he say? God forbid, may it never be, by no means. The Christian life has this going back and back and back to this dual reality. The only way to live free from sin is to know that you have been freed from sin by Christ alone. We must always go back to this a thousand times per day. Live like the son that you are. Remember whose you are. What's, what's been paid for you? You can never, that, that can literally... There's nothing you can do to change that. So don't try. In fact, make, make your calling and election sure. That is biblical language that Peter uses, that Paul uses. Be secure in who you are in Christ. You can never leave his love. So 
On the contrary, run hard after him to make your calling election sure, to show that you are indeed. So the, it's the opposite of I can live how I want, right? Um, hate sin more and more and more and more. Be more and more grieved by it. That's a sign that you are his. It's a sign of freedom in Christ, freedom for Christ. Live like the son you are. Not under the Mosaic law means not under the power of sin. Because as Paul has argued, right, in, in the past, and we've, we've gone over this, the law underlines our sin. The law provokes our sin so that we might flee to Christ. To be under the law is to be under the power of sin. Jesus has removed us from, the domin- from this dominion by keeping the law for us and taking the punishment of a lawbreaker for us, like I said. Consequently, we're not under law, but grace. This means, as one commentator puts it, not that we are free from any constraints or free to live how we please, but free to, and he says this, we're free to keep the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love. Love the Lord your God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And love your enemy as yourself. Right? Um, Keeping the law of Christ is, and what did Jesus say? He said, he who keeps these things, the whole law and prophets depend on these. If you keep that, you keep it all. That's the essence of all that God commands. Um, We are able, okay, Jesus brings us into new life where in a new relationship. We're sons of the living God by adoption through the work of Jesus Christ received by faith. So we are able to keep um, Christ's law. We're able to love. We're actually able to love God and others, even our enemies. Not perfectly. And our salvation does not depend on that, but it's a fruit. It's a fruit. It's, It's a fruit of what? Being connected to him by faith. Faith alone can connect us to Jesus Christ. It's a fruit. We're able to actually love. We're able to actually hate sin. We're able to actually please God all in Christ. Not, again, I've talked about this in a previous lecture. I think this is where I quoted mom. She maybe wasn't here and she's like, you quoted me. Tell me how. And I'm like, I don't, I forgot how, but I quoted you. Um, you know, my mom would say this. Oh God, help me. Uh, not, the prayer is not, oh God, help me to love like you love. Although that's good. I, wanna, I want my life to look like Jesus. I, wanna, I want him to be my example. I don't just want to be like, he was my substitute. He made me right with God and I'm not going to live like him. Of course, I want to, we can go so far on the he's our representative and substitute side that we don't endeavor to follow in his footsteps and love like he loved and sacrifice like he sacrificed and bless people like he blessed people and speak truth to power like he did, etc. And, and, and seek and work for and speak for justice and truth. And Okay, I, I can err on that side for sure. But let us not have our chief prayer be, oh God, help me to love like you love, but also... Or, or and primarily, oh God, help me to love with your love, right? So the very, the very life of Christ in and through us, moving out to the world. Back to God and out to our fellow man and woman, right? The very love of God. Help me, give me your love for that person. That's a great prayer. Man, I, there's no way I cannot gin up. I know what to do and I'm just going to choose to love that person and the feelings may or may not follow. That's a great advice by C.S. Lewis. On the other hand, as well, as a compliment to that, and more powerfully, perhaps. Um, and, and loving in the face of our feelings is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And I think it's even more pleasing to God. But Lord, give me your love for that person. He's got it. He has love for that person, guaranteed. He'll do it. He will do that. There are certain prayers that he will answer, that he's pleased to answer. I believe that's one of them. Now, you may not feel fuzzies for the person. That's not love. Love's going to the cross for somebody, right? When they're, I mean, love is an action. Um, 
Verse 16, Paul returns to the thread he was pulling on in verses 12 through 14. What he says seems theologically impossible, but practically obvious. We know it to be true, right? Um, Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Um, Paul is saying that we can be freed from sin, children of God, born again with God himself, taking up residence within us. Yet, okay, and this is, I think this is the part (laughs) that, oh, this is so fraught with, I really had, yeah, I didn't take time to, I didn't have time. I didn't, to go back through this and kind of, so this is what I wrote. Okay, I'm just being exposed on recording in front of you all. Paul is saying that we can be freed from, he seems to be saying, I'm not sure I'd agree to know. But we can be freed from sin, children of God, born again with God himself, taking up residence in us, yet slaves of sin. And I don't think that that's, okay, that's what I was writing as I was reading this, because of a voluntary submission to sin, because we're choosing to sin. Now, I don't believe, that seems to be what he's saying in verse 16, I don't believe you can be a true child of God and truly a slave to sin. However, Practically, again, like I said earlier, we've all, maybe, maybe we all haven't all experienced this. Hopefully we haven't. I have to a certain, a very keen degree where I felt like I was just enthralled to sin. I know I was born again in Christ. And I've seen it in the lives of other who, people who I believe were truly, truly saved. That if you are a, a new creation in Christ and you continue to choose sin, it will get its hooks in you. Now, you're not identified by that sin. Your, your, your relationship to God in Christ as a son or a daughter can never change. But um, this, is, this is mysterious, intense stuff here. Um, but it can, there can be a certain captivity to it. Again, that Christ can break and this is not your identity. But it's not without its effects. It's not. I think we all know this. <coughs> this is mysterious stuff that Paul's getting into. Um, let me, let me read, let me, let me pull on some, um, let me phone a friend here and pull on some commentators that are wiser than I that have spent much more time in this text and then I'd love to open it up. Um, as, as, as born again to life in Christ, if we choose to sin, will it lead to death in our lives? Yes, it will. Sin leads to death every time. Will it mean that we, that we die eternally? No, if we're in Christ, we will not. But it can literally, I mean, as we know, sin can, sin in the life of a believer can end that, in the, in that believer's life. I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen it many times. Um, it can, it can, it can, it can um, ruin the quality of, or, or, or lessen the quality of, in the life of that believer, right? Sin has consequences. Even if Christ has paid for it and our, and our um, status has been changed in him and we are moved from being his enemies to his sons and daughters through, through Christ and his person and work, um, man, saying yes to sin is still going to have effects. We're, like, like David, like King David, right? I mean, he was a child of God. We will see him in heaven, if indeed we go there in Christ. And yet his life was not ruined, but much of it was ruined and set on a different course through his sin. Right? And, yet, and yet God drew him to himself through grace. And there was, forgive, there was full forgiveness, but there were still consequences. To quote Tom Schreiner, a commentator, those who commit their lives to sin will be eternally condemned. Okay? That's the way he interprets that, and that's the right way. Those who commit their lives to sin, okay? You can't commit your life to sin into living how you want to live. I had it my way. Okay, if that's your mantra, you're going to hell. Okay, to be, to, to trust in Christ is to be Christ's. 
is to be Christ's. It's to be committed to him, even if it's by fits and starts, right? None of us is going to be living that, living that out perfectly, not by a long shot. To commit our lives to Christ is to turn from sin, but it's certainly not to stop sinning, 1 John 1, 9, right? We will continue to sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars, and the truth is not in us. But to embrace a lifestyle of sin with no sorrow, that's not a mark of a believer. And this, Paul argues, Tom Schreiner, Paul argues that if one claims to be under grace and yet lives as a slave to sin, the claim is nullified by one's conduct, Right? So my conduct shows my true colors. If I live enslaved to sin, I show the power of sin in my life has never been broken by Christ. I've never trusted him, never entrusted my life to him. Now, again, as soon as I say that, I'm going to say, man, I've had patches in my life. And sometimes patches have been years where I have struggled with a sin and I felt like it owned me. Was I was I a son of God through faith in Christ? Yes, I was. So I'm not saying despair of your salvation. I'm not, if you, in fact, the best way to beat that is to put yourself in a, in a Christian community where you can be honest and open and vulnerable and, ha- and not walk by yourself, to be in the word, to be um, it, it, running to Christ as much as possible, to be, to be um, uh, yeah, in the word, in prayer, and to be grounded in the fact that you are fully forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. And that he is in you and the power of sin has been broken in your life. Even if it, you feel like you're enthralled to it. But if this characterizes your life, then there need to be serious question marks as to whether or not you are a new creation in Christ. Um, thirdly, grace doesn't merely involve the forgiveness of sins. It, okay, so, so let, me, let, me, let me reemphasize that. Grace doesn't merely involve the forgiveness of sins. It also involves the power in which the mastery of dominion and sin are broken, right? And that's a quote from Schreiner. That's a great, that's, and that's what we see from this, among other things, from this, from this verse, from this text, um, from, from verse uh, 16 and following, is that grace doesn't merely involve the forgiveness of sins. It also involves the power in which the mastery and dominion of sin are broken. We will see that played out perfectly in the life to come. But we will not be able to sin anymore. So right now where we were, in the first Adam, we were non passe, non vicari, not able not to sin. Now, in the second Adam, in this middle space, in these shadow lands, where Christ, the resurrected Christ, has literally taken up residence in every believer by his spirit, and the power of sin, you have power not to sin. The power of sin has been broken in your life, and you have a new status. Not guilty, and you're a son or a daughter of the living God through Jesus. You're actually now able, passe, non vicari, able not to sin. But one day, you'll be able to not non passe picare. What does that mean? Not able to sin. Not able to sin. That, that's the destination of guarantee. If your sins have been paid for by Jesus, you will rise bodily. You will be glorified. Like a member the pulley. And you will be forever. Okay, this, is, this fight is a speck. It's a dot. Eternity will just go on and on and on and on and on. You will forever, forever and ever and ever be non-passe picari, not able to sin. So it's fight, 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 fight now. Rooting your identity in the fact that you've been, you have a righteousness that's alien, that's Jesus Christ's. That will, and you are dearly loved. And you have what you need in Christ to fight. Um, but you will sin. That doesn't identify you doesn't decrease God's love for you. Run to Jesus. Um, 
The life of grace is a life of, okay, look at verse 16, look at verse 16 right? What does he say? The life of grace is a life of, and all of a sudden it's surprising, obedience. obedience. Exactly. Verse 16. Notice the way Paul emphasizes the word obedience here. We're expecting, it's, there's a parallelism, but it's like not parallel. We're expecting the one whom we obey to be, because what does he say? You're a slave of the one whom you obey, either a sin which leads to death or of obedience, or, or of God. He should say to God. No, not should have said, because the word's perfect, but we were expecting, who do we obey? Well, we obey God. No, he says, or of obedience. What? What's he doing here? Um, notice the way Paul emphasized the word obedience here. We're expecting the one whom we obey to be God, not obedience. Um, now, I thought I had some commentary on this, and I do, but I'm not sure it's here. Um, look, the life Well, I'm going to skip that. Let me ask a simple question. How can we obey Jesus if we don't know his will? How can we know his will if we don't know his word? Okay, we can know his word. We can know the letter of it, but not know him, not trust in him, not have him take up residence in us, not be born again. In which case, the knowing has not even yet begun. But to know him personally, to trust in him, to have him live in us, make us new in him, to live lives of faith, and then to know, how do I obey him? We have to know his word, right? We have to know his word. That's how that relationship works, through his spirit, by his word, in community. Um, Okay, so, here, it seems like in... um, in verse 16, that we're possibly hearing an echo of Romans 1, 5, where Paul talks about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, and Schreiner makes this comment, quoting another guy. Um, the, obedient, the primary obedience that God requires is one of trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. Not just trying to follow him in your own strength. It's trusting in the one that he sent to save us. And that's where our lives obedience come out of, right? In that vital union to him that happens by faith. Um, in verse 17, Paul staves off any notion that Christians are neutral in the battle between slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, right? So there's no, there's no neutrality here. Um, we will be slaves of sin, verse 18. We will be either slaves of sin or of righteousness. There's no third way, like I said earlier. Yet this is where, as I said, also where most Americans live, I think. As if there's, not, I'm not just saying most American Christians or most heretical American Christians or whatever. I'm saying just where most, where most um, Americans live. As if there's a third way. Like, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a free man. I'm not a, and I'm certainly not a slave to righteousness. I've been freed by Jesus. You know, there's, we will live as slaves, whether to sin or to righteousness. Um, but note here, the verb in verse 18 is passive. It's passive. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So that's being slaves to righteousness and following God and obeying him and trusting him and cutting, cutting away sin and cutting away anything that entangles us. That comes out of something that's been done for us. 
We are not the acting subject. We are the acted upon subject or direct object, right? Having been, we are not the ones who set ourselves free. We have been set free by God himself through through no effort of our own. That's the gospel. And the gospel implications are we get to live as sons, you know? I call my children to lives of obedience. Hey, here's the thing. Because they're my children. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's because of their identity. They're born into being inses. And as inses, I then call them to lives of obedience. It's not, it's not like, hey, obey, and then maybe you'll be my kids. That's, that's, see, that's, that's the way God is. He, he calls us to obedience as his children. That can never change because we are united to Christ. We will always be his sons and daughters once we... Once he comes to live inside of us and we trust in him. And he calls us to obedience. He calls us to that freedom. Freedom isn't even in the garden, right? We talked about this briefly last week. Even in the garden, there was this tree. And it was like, don't eat from that tree. That wasn't God toying with our first parents. That was a picture of the perfect world. In the perfect world, here's how we're made. In the perfect world, perfection is trusting God based on his word and what he says. It's not do whatever you want. It's bounty And there is freedom in being able to go, God said it, and therefore I'm going to live like it. That's freedom. And what we see in the life of the most free person on planet Earth, Jesus, he's constantly going, I'm not doing it unless my father says it. I'm not saying it unless he says it. I'm not doing it unless I see him do it. That's the picture of perfect freedom. It's utter dependence. Utter dependence. That's what Christ has brought us into. You know, it's like, it's the same with a kid, you know, like a kid that thinks I'm free to just live how I want to, no rules, just right. Isn't it like the Outback uh, yeah. mantra? Yeah, there Bloomin' onion, it'll kill you. Um, no is right. A two-year-old who lives by that is going to die, like very soon, right? Uh, no, I, I, I'm, 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 I trust my parents. I'm gonna do what my parents say. That kid's gonna have a great life if he has good parents, and we have the best parent, right? So, so that's a huge part of what Paul's talking about here. Um. So verse 20, as we, as we begin to wrap here, um, verse 20, I, I, I said it I was re- as I was reading it, it's a, strange, it's a strange way to put it. For when you, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Isn't that stra- a strange way? To, it's kind of a funny way to, to put that. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Well, it sounds like that was a good thing. Um, isn't it good to be free from something? Well, not if it's righteousness. Um, being free from something, uh, Schreiner says, upon first reading, the reason given in verse 20 seems a bit strange, which is like, okay, I was right. That is strange. Being free from something sounds good, but when we realize that being free from righteousness means being slaves of sin, again, there's no, there's no, you can't, you can't be utterly free. There's no third position. If you're free from righteousness, you're a slave to sin. If you're not, in other words, if you're not a slave of righteousness, you're a slave to sin. That's, that's the only other option. So, um, uh, when we realize that being free from righteousness means being slaves of sin, we see that freedom, in, air, in scare quotes, is not good, but slavery to a power that will destroy us. Paul spells this out in verse 21, right? In the next verse. Um, I think he may be phrasing it this way to help to be playful, maybe, but also he may be engaging in a bit of um, mimesis, which, does anyone know what um, literary quiz? Anyone know what, it's an artistic, it's a literary device. What mimesis? Okay. So, art imitating life. Wait, say it again. Mimesis is a, it's a, it's a literary device where art is imitating life. So, there's a sense in which, like, let me just give you one example. 
I know this is strict. This strictly applies, but it, it just came to my mind. Um, like Lord of the Rings, just in the very, in this very, in the very length of it, it's over a thousand pages. It's a very, very long book. It's a, it's, it's um, one of the things that it's doing is it's long enough that it sort of absorbs you. Like there's no, there's a, there, it's so long that you, some books you read and you know you're reading them, and it's like cover. I read through it. I see the argument, and then I'm at the end, and that's. Lord of the Rings, you get immersed. And what he's talking about is a journey, and he's drawing you into that journey and wanting you to take that journey as an actual character, as it were, alongside the fellowship. And it's so long that there's a sense of what he's drawing you in. So through his art, he's having you imitate. He's having you go on the quest that he's actually writing about. There's a sense in which that's, I think that's my medic. Um, so one of the things that I think Paul may be doing here is maybe engaging in some of that mimesis. Um, Sin convinces us. What's, what's, that almost seems to be like the attitude of, of sin, of the one who maybe is indulging in sin, right? Or of the, of the devil himself. For when, you're, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Yay, I'm free! Free to live I want to, yay! I mean, I've, I've felt like that in the past. Um, that's how the world feels, right? I mean, all this talk of freedom, all this talk to live how I want to live, don't tread on me, I'm free, I'm free. Um, but sin convinces us that we are free. And then it's good and tasty. So we bite the hook only to find one thing, death. Right? In verse 21, he says, basically, my translation, how is that working out for you? How, how's that working out for you? Um, verse 22, do slaves of God strike you as funny, strange, in a surprising way to word freedom in Jesus? That's just a question. I don't have an answer to it. I just wanted to ask that. class um but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of god the fruit you get that he's describing life in christ as being slaves to god is that comment does that strike you as he's the only thing that we can be a slave of that's safe that's the way i would say it i mean if you're a slave to anything else you're in bondage but if you're slave to God, you're safe yeah. because he's safe. He's loving, he's good, he's kind, he's, he's, we, we can rest in him. Because it's true. He's safe. It is, I agree, 100%. It is an interesting way to put it. It's very, um, that's the word I'm looking for. It's striking. It's not the word I'm looking for, but it's a striking phrase, slaves of God. It's not how we often think of the Christian life. I'm a slave of God. It's true. And it's freedom. Well, Paul calls himself a doulos. He does. All the time. Christ, all the time. All the time in his opening, right? That's how he is identified to the world. There's, some, there's a freedom in that that we need to press into. Well, being either, slaves to God. We're either slaves to God mm-hmm. or slaves to something else. I mean, honestly, that might be... I mean, if he's not talking about that in this decisive, hinge, key chapter, I don't know what he's talking about. That's exactly right. Maybe also mm-hmm. there's something... You know, maybe he's playing with the, uh, using it metaphorically in the mm-hmm. sense because we were bought with a price mm-hmm. in the same way that in the ancient world, or mm-hmm. the slave was purchased by the master, right. and yeah. and you know some slave master relationships in the ancient world were not 
necessarily cruel. They were. That's right. They were beneficial. Well, the doulos in the Old Testament was the one who was like, "Hey, Simon, I, I know I've my freedom is now given me, like freedom to literally walk away from this household and from this from this relationship as in being a servant. Slave can also mean servant in in this in this yeah. context. I know that my time is up, but actually, you're such a good master. Like freedom for what? Freedom to go walk out into the world and something's gonna, like I don't, uh, prosperity is where you are. You're a good master. I want to be under your care and provision and protection. I want you to tell me what to do. Like again, any kid that knows anything would tell a good parent that, right? For, for the time until they grow up. Like, so the, so the doulos would literally say, there was a whole ritual in the law that was given where the doulos would literally say, okay, I, I'm giving up my right to just go be off on my own. I want to be under you. That's where prosperity is. That's where freedom is. And so they would get a, an awl, like a wooden thing, and just put it through their um, ear, earlobe and, and nail it to the, the doorpost, the doorframe of the master's house, and say, I'm, I'm with you, man, voluntarily, forever. And there's a sense in which that's what you say, right? Even though God's the one who draws us, we'll get to that in Romans 9, we, he calls us to himself, and when he does, we... We say, man, I want to be with you. I don't want to be my own master anymore because I'm in the dominion of sin and Satan and everything that I deserve. But you love me to that degree. I'm yours. Bought and, pay- bought and paid for. I'm, I'm yours. Yeah, purchased. Purchased at the highest price. How is he going to treat us if he gave his own son for us? Man, he's the best master. So yeah, we're not, this whole thing of like we're free to do what we want, Paul's just demolishing that. That's not biblical. It's not what Christ has done for us. Um, good comments um, and then the last having become slaves of God the last part of verse 22 the fruit that you, as we wind down the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life um, man so the fruit that you get in your life leading to being made more and more like Jesus and then its end a life that never ends, where we'll be with God forever in a new creation with adventuring and exploring and judging. We will judge angels, right? And on and on it goes and building and colonizing and all this. I mean, it's going to be the opposite of, again, being on clouds with hearts. It's going to be a new creation. Augustine, nothing that is good will not remain. Nothing that is good will not remain. Sunsets, wonderful food around the table, fellowship. I mean, uh, Randy Alcorn talks about animals and all sorts. I mean, will, will Holly, the golden retriever, be in, in the new creation? Possibly. <laughs> Stephen might say probably. Let me, let me read a quote. Why do you got to end on that? Why do you got to end? I'm not ending. I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm rapping, but I'm not ending. Cats, let me, maybe not. Cats, cats maybe not. <laughs> Jimmy? What about Jimmy the cat? Absolutely not. Let me. Absolutely not. If, if, Stephen, were, if Stephen were God. Um, isn't that an interesting thought experiment? If Stephen were God, let's write a short story. Um, let me read this by C.S. Lewis as we, as, we, as we wrap, and then I'll read verse 23, and that might be our close. Um, Christianity, this is Lewis. You thought I was, we were going to get through a lesson without Lewis? You're wrong. Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must be either true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is the precisely correct term for what it would be. 
So really a, a, a good sort of um, unpacking of part of what I think Paul is talking about here in that what, look, getting more and more like Jesus in this short life, like really and truly through faith in him being united to him, but actually becoming more like what we are. Um, any, I mean, we'll be glorified, but, you know, over 70 years, it might seem like an imperceptible difference, although it's really not. But for eternity, it's going to be tremendous. And if, it, and, if, and if that sanctification wasn't happening, we'd be getting worse and worse and worse and more and more and more hollowed out. And like C.S. Lewis says, a big part of hell isn't just going to be the punishment. It's just going to be the type of people that are there, just utterly self-absorbed, all because... They're outside of Christ, not because they're worse than we are or we're better than they. But um, just thinking about the trajectory of eternity here. And it's end, eternal life, right? Um, so let me finish with verse 30, 23 and then we can, we can wrap. For the wages, Paul says, this, this amazing fridge magnet verse, now we know the context. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that really is quite a verse, and it is, it is, it is so much of the gospel. Um, salvation is a free gift. It's from God the Father. The gift is life, not death. It will never end. It is not detached from Jesus, but in him. And he is not Savior only, as we were talking about earlier, right? He is not Savior only, but Lord. He has saved us from death uh, through his death. And he is our Savior, and he is the Lord and our Lord. Um, so again, just to wrap, you know, finish, started with the fresh, talking about the freshman 15. Paul, at this point in his argument in Romans, he's anticipating, okay, you're starting to get the gospel. Now let me tell you what the gospel is not. It's not living how you want to live. It's actually being slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, and he's a good master. And all that, that uh, the power for sanctified living, not sinless living, not until we're glorified, but for sanctified living, for being sorrowful over sin and be actually becoming more and more like Jesus and not dominated by a lifestyle of sin comes from our vital union to Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his death and everyone who's baptized into his death is absolutely baptized into his resurrection. You will rise. And it's, that's begun in us. It's begun in every believer. Um, it's the seed that will take root and grow into this beautiful oak tree that will last forever. So let me... Um, let me close this out in prayer and then we can just continue and talk and ask questions to your heart's content. But um, let me close this, formally close the lecture down. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Um, What a blessing it is to be with these saints and um, to just, again, to open your word. Thank you that you have given us this this magnificent book through through your your servant Paul, your doulos, who is now with you face to face and will one day be resurrected. But not until uh, not until you return, and we all will be together. How wonderful. Um, Jesus, thank you that you've declared us righteous. You've, you have made us sons um, by giving us your full inheritance and taking our punishment upon yourself and, um, and our sentence upon yourself. And, uh, and that that's making day by day and fits and starts a real difference. We're becoming more and more and more like you. Help us to hate sin to flee from it, um, to be sorry, to feel, be filled with sorrow over it, to, to love you, to fix our eyes on you, to be more overwhelmed with the gospel, with your incarnation, with your rescue of us, with your redemption, your, your, um, your payment for us, 
setting us free and more overwhelmed with what we've been brought into. Um, Lord, would we be students of your word? Would we meditate on it day and night? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you make us fruitful Christians? Would you help us to flee sin? And uh, I pray that you would make us preachers of your gospel, even this week, Lord, that we would be able to share the good news of Jesus with, with others. And thank you um, in this season so much for um, becoming one of us to save us. We bless you. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. And I pray that we could come back next week with rejoicing into Romans 7 as we close down for, for the semester. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Um, if you have anything you want to bring up or questions or anything, just feel free. But we're formally done. Where are you guys out? I think we need something to kind of give us a lift as we go out. Because I'm just like, you want to sing? I'm just like, Ugh. yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. I know. I'm but you know what I mean. I'm yeah. Oh. I mean, it's kind of like okay. I want to be able to, you know, have the power to say no to sin. But then it just—it's almost like I'm, I just have this. Kind of... Oh man! Well, I'm glad you said that. I mean, I'm sad because that's—that shows me in part I didn't do my job. But no, um, I mean, you did do your job. But maybe we should. Yeah. We should feel the weight for sure. But I don't want—I don't want you to despair. Or feel hopeless. I don't. Feel yeah. This. Good. Oh, well, let's. Why don't we sing? Why don't we sing? I'm gonna need to sing with somebody because I don't. For some reason, I I don't have a copy, but maybe I can look on with John. All right.